Westgate. Happy Mother's Day. Yes, happy Mother's Day for all the women here, not just moms, but all the women here. We have got some awesome, delicious chocolate out in the atrium for you after the service. Feel free and check it out and get some of that. And with that being said, take a look at the screen. Welcome to Westgate Chapel. We are so happy to have you worship with us today. My name is Pastor Dan Russell, and I'm the middle school pastor here at Westgate Chapel. We would love to get to know you. At the end of the service, head out to the main entrance into our guest center, where there's a host who would love to meet you and answer any questions that you have. We also have a small gift for you just to say, thanks for being here. We also have our Connect card available in the back of the pew. Go ahead, take a moment to fill it out. It's a great way to let us know that you joined us. 
You can also use that card to share any prayer requests that you might have. We love the opportunity to pray for our family each week. Drop your card in the offering bucket when it's passed later in the service. You can find the Connect card on our Westgate app as well. Sermon notes are also available in our app, or you can grab those from the entrance tables as you come into service. And so now, let's take a moment to hear about all the opportunities you have to get involved at Westgate. New this year, we're offering summer classes for adults. We've got two great classes to choose from, and you're invited to join us. Our first class, Jesus and Exodus. In this class, we'll learn what a book written three millennia ago in the Middle East teaches us about following hard after Jesus in the USA today. The second is Lessons from the Land of Israel. This class will be rooted in Pastor Adam and Pastor Dave's experiences from the recent trip to Israel that not only provided a greater mental understanding, but a, also a deeper heart formation. Both classes run four weeks and will be held on Sundays, 9 a.m., June 4th to the 25th. Learn more about these classes and register at westgatechapel.org events or on the Westgate app. A quick reminder, there are just a few weeks left to register for VBS. Deadline is June 4th, and all donations for our Giving Game donation drive are due today. You can turn your items in at the Giving Game table in the W Cafe. Thanks again for joining us. This morning will be an amazing time of worship together. Enjoy the service. Church family, my name is Julianne Judge. I work here directing outreach and missions. Best job ever. It truly is such a joy to get to be part of our church DNA, where we want to not just uh, be a church that serves within the building, which is awesome. We also love sending our people out to reach our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. As we learn in Acts 1:8, before Jesus ascends, he he sends his people out, and so we have the privilege of being a church that believes in sending our people out and I get to oversee many of those opportunities and it is such a joy. And so a couple of things about the way we serve is that every uh, season we kind of have a a season of serving. And so we are just concluding our spring serve. And this month, you guys, or this season, from, from the beginning of the year, you guys have been serving in so many ways with our local partners here in the area. And I have a couple pictures to share, just some of the joy as we wrapped up the spring serve. This past Friday night, we got to go serve at Dragon Fest with Door Elementary. There were just many of you guys from the littlest, Leo was there at three months, up to people, um, senior that we're here serving side by side in our community with our partners over at uh, Dora Elementary. And it was such a fun night. At the end of the night, we all had this camaraderie of like, yeah, we're tired. And it's such a joyful tired. And that's what serving does. It grows us um, in our head, heart, and hands as we uh, live out what it means to follow Jesus. And so we are celebrating where we've been in the spring serve. And today we're launching our summer serve. So in your sermon notes, you'll see that we have our summer serve postcard, westgatechapel.org slash summer serve. It's in the app. We are going to continue putting out opportunities. And I've also made a page. We have eight plus uh, opportunities launching for uh, the summer plan. And so as you're making your summer calendar, we challenge you to put in the fun stuff, put in the um, stuff that's important to you and include neighboring, include time uh, serving our community as part of what you do. Gather some friends, gather your family, gather your life group. We have opportunities for all different types of projects, all different types of ages. And then obviously as you uh, gather your neighbors to show them the love of Jesus, you can do that with your neighbors, with your people. And so that's what we're all about. We love 
sharing what God's doing and celebrating it and uh, growing with him as we do it. And so a couple highlights of what we are launching today, again, we'll add more throughout the summer, is we are going to be doing another um, Welcome Corps uh, resettling a Ukrainian family like we did this last summer, but we're gathering a team. For us to be able to do that, Westgate and Faith is saying yes. Lydia Mason King is our team leader. We have a meeting this Thursday for anyone interested. So maybe that's a way you want to spend your summer serving Jesus by uh, welcoming the nations in that way. Another opportunity is with Keep Watch. We love praying for our schools. We believe that prayer is significant, important, the primary work of God's people. And so you'll find information. We're going to be doing a prayer blitz out at Door Elementary, but you could gather people at your school. Um, There's information on there. There's many opportunities. And the last one that we're going to highlight this morning is with our sister church, that neighborhood church in North Toledo. We have opportunities on Friday nights, and then we're also going to be talking about kids camp. So I have my friend Christian Rogers here. He is our team leader this year for the TNC Kids Camp, formerly Sports Camp. Tell us what it is, Christian. All right. So TNC is a five-day opportunity for us as a church body to partner with that neighborhood church and provide um, daily Bible lessons, dinners, and sports and fun activities. Like this year, we're adding uh, a bigger arts and crafts. Yeah. Arts and crafts, kickball, flag football is our plan right now. Yep. And yeah, it's uh, July 17th through 21st, so you know which week, you have plenty of time to get those evenings off. And why is this such a significant week for the kids in that neighborhood? So they love to be able to hang out and play uh, with the other kids in their neighborhood. They love to have like the organized dinners and talk and hang out. Uh, They really love to be heard and to have a sort of structure in a summer that normally is like pretty empty for them. Yeah, yeah, it just is a time for them to be the center of attention to be listened to and played with. And so it is a joy for them. Also, our partners at that neighborhood church are just so grateful. They're serving side by side with us, but this just gives life into their summer and into their relationships that they carry all year long. So we know it's a joy for the partners, for the kids. Christian, tell us why you're jumping in this year in even a bigger role. So I love this opportunity to serve because I get to grow alongside other people in our church family and get to meet new people and have more people to say hi to, uh, which is my favorite thing to do. But uh, also, it's an amazing opportunity to grow in what Jesus calls us to do, um, to love others as ourselves. Because I remember having a lot of fun summers because my parents were uh, super hard to provide that for them. Yeah, yeah, it has been. I know the debriefs at the end are some of my favorite parts of that night as we grow together as a church side by side. So yes, we have more information. We'd love to, we're gathering a snack team, registration, help with the sports, help with the meals. So please find, Christian and I will be out at the table in the cafe, um, at the summer serve table. We have missional team leaders leading each uh, ministry, but you can use me as your point person. And at the end, we'd love to share your stories for God's glory. So with that, now's our time to stand up and meet somebody.
God is good, amen. He is holy, he is worthy of our praise, amen. I want to take just a moment here. I haven't done this in a bit, but I want you just to say out loud, what are you thankful for? What has God done for you lately? What are you thankful for? Shout it out. something God has done. We like we live in a world that likes to just and to squish that out. Right? But we know we serve a mighty God who is bigger and better than all the hardships, anything that the world throws at us. Amen. We are called to come on, come on, give me an amen there, right? Come on, church, that's why we're here. We're here to celebrate. We're here to worship him. And when we sing out his praises, we are declaring against the enemy that, we, that, that he has been defeated, that the enemy has been defeated, that God has overcome. So this morning, I want you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Just think about all the things that God has done for you. about those things and I want you to think about the nature of God think about who he is and let that just overwhelm you think about who how big he is know that nothing we could say could ever measure up to that God, but what's why we are here is to offer what we have to the King above all kings. He is worthy of our praise. We sing this next song and continue to worship. Just think about who he is, what he's done for you. All that I have is 
we, we sing your praise as one body. God, we may not have much to give, but God, what we do have, we give to you. Take our lives, Father, everything we offer, our very breath, God, use it for your will, for your purposes. There's no one greater than you. Lord, I pray for everyone here this morning, God, that there are people here that are hurting. Oh, my kidding. Of course there are people here hurting, God. We're broken people in desperate need of you. I pray for everyone who is hurting, God, that they would draw near and nearer to you this morning. That you would give them the peace that passes all understanding. God, may those that are here that are in a celebratory mood, maybe things are going well in their lives, God, may we celebrate, but may we give it all back to you. It's only because of you that we can celebrate anything, Lord. It's in your holy and precious name that all God's people prayed. Amen. As we continue to worship this morning, we're going to take up this morning's offering, so please take the time to pass those buckets. And if you are a guest here, feel free and let those pass right on by. you're here with us this morning. Uh, Happy Mother's Day. Uh, My mom's here, so shout out to her. That earns me extra brownie points, right, from the stage saying Happy Mother's Day. I, I, I gotta, I'll check my own box, that's fine. But glad that you're here with us this morning uh, to be, my name is Steve. If we haven't met, uh, I'm the pastor of student ministry here at the church, uh, work with our high school students. And uh, when we were preparing um, our our sermon series, uh, and we have a team that meets, and, and I got uh, Mother's Day. I was at first a little nervous. Uh, there's a lot of often expectations on Mother's Day. Um, there's a lot of emotions tied to our moms, uh, from great joy and gratitude uh, to also pain and sorrow that comes along with that. And so, um, you know, I was a little, little nervous, but then I started thinking, most of the time, the youth pastors are given like Memorial Day weekend, July 4th weekend. And I don't want to say your church attendance is, it's not great, let's be honest. But on Mother's Day, everybody comes to church with their mom. So I was like, oh, maybe I officially made it. I'm preaching on Mother's Day. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but I am happy to be talking to you this morning. Uh, we are going to be continuing right along uh, with our series in Mark um, titled, Who is This Man? as we look to see what Jesus claims about himself. Um, and so 
I had someone say, oh, aren't you giving uh, a sermon about moms? And what I, I really do love about our church is that we, and when I first got here and I talked to many of you, what do you love about Westgate is that we teach the Bible um, and that we, we teach it every Sunday. And so we're going to continue to do that. And hopefully this will honor mothers in the room, uh, also encourage the rest of us, because it is a little bit of a f- funny passage to preach on Mother's Day. The end, I'll kind of spoil it, uh, but the end of Mark 3, where we're going to be at this morning, has Jesus asking, who is my mother and who is my brother? One of my friends said, you are not preaching on that on Mother's Day. I said, that's what fell in line. Like, this is where we're at. So we're going to teach it. Um, So uh, we're going to be working through Mark chapter 3, kind of reading big chunks, then we'll just talk about it um, and hopefully hear what God has to say to us uh, through his word. Um, And so let me just set the stage for where we're at in Mark 3. Jesus is ministry, we sometimes talk about like his his public ministry um, that happens maybe somewhere around where he's 30, but he's going out, he's starting to teach, it says as one who has authority, in fact, people are astounded by the way he's teaching, he's not teaching like other teachers, but one who has authority in and of himself in a way that is astounding people. Uh, We see in Mark, if you've been following along with your reading plan, a little quick plug for that, you can grab that, a card form on any of our tables when you walk in or in the app, and we've just been encouraging you uh, to read along as we teach kind of a chapter each each week. Um, And so if you're following along, you've been reading that, um, you'll you'll know that uh, Jesus has been maybe making a name for himself a little bit in that he's starting to heal people. We get several of these back-to-back that he heals a man with leprosy, uh, that he heals a paralytic, that he heals a man in the first part of chapter 3 with a withered hand. Um, And he's healing so many people, and he's casting out demons and freeing people um, that the crowds are starting to come around him. They're pushing in on him. They're wanting to see, like, what's going on? So Mark chapter 3, verse 7 through 12. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed him. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came from him from Judea, Jerusalem, Edomia, and the region across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him, to keep the people from crowding him. When he had healed many, for he had healed many, so that those with disease were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Jesus' popularity is growing. We see in the passage that they are coming from all around the region. They're coming from everywhere. Because imagine for a second, like we think, oh, our church is pretty full this morning. But imagine there was someone here that by touching him, you could be healed. Think about what you would do to get close to him, to see him. That if you had an impure spirit, an evil spirit that was causing insanity, that he could cast that out and give you a clear mind. 
Think about the crowds that would be driving after him to just get a glimpse, to if I could just get close enough to the bringing of friends. And we see this in scripture, right? To the point where, you guys remember the story, right? Man, I'll drop my friend through a roof for Jesus, right? We got to get close. So much so that Jesus is, is, is being hounded really by the crowds to the point where he's going to get in like boats. We see this a lot often that he gets in a boat and like pushes away from shore so that, hey, there's a little bit of space, and so from all over the region, they're coming, right? If we wrote this today, maybe, man, they're coming from Perrysburg and Sylvania and Toledo. Now, man, they're coming from Michigan and Indiana and Kentucky. They're coming from all over because he's healing and he's casting out demons. It's interesting at the beginning of this passage, the demons know who Jesus is, Right? The demons know who he is. This is the son of God. We could go get on to a long kind of rabbit trail about then why he kind of shushes them up at that point. We don't have time for it. My timer's already clicking. So they know, and others are going to come to the realization of who Jesus is. Who is this man? Mark chapter 3, 13 and 15 Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And then if you keep looking at that, you get all of the disciples' names that he calls. Remember Mark, the nice thing, I don't know what your favorite gospel is, right? Everybody's kind of got, oh, this is the one I like. I know a lot of people like Mark because it's short. Right? He gets to the point. He takes, he takes it and he kind of brings it all in for us. Maybe some of you love Luke because Luke is maybe a little more chronological in nature. I like that. Here's what happened next, next, next. I love John. We're currently teaching it to our high schoolers because John very clearly tells you why he's writing it. I'm writing you this. There's many more stories, but the things that I'm writing are so that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that you would believe in him and have life in his name. Love it. But Mark, whew, nice and tight. And he tells them, and he, and he tells us, hey, Jesus is not only performing these miracles, he's not only teaching, but now he's calling others to follow him, to be the disciples, to here's the way I'm walking, you should walk like that. And it says that they go out, he sends them out to preach and to cast out demons. And so not only is Jesus kind of, the crowds are coming to see him, but now he has these followers that are coming with him. You can imagine that this might be causing a little bit of a stir in the area. That people are hearing about this, that there's this teacher that's traveling throughout the region, that he has these followers, that the way he's teaching, man, have, have you ever heard a teaching like that? I've never heard anything like that. And did you know he healed this man? No, no. That, yep, he healed a man of leprosy. He's like touching the sick. And there's these people that are coming to him. They're, they're, they're possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, that their, their minds are confused, they're, and they're being healed. And so you can imagine this news is spreading throughout the region. And I think this sets up what we're going to see is kind of two groups of people that are going to come check Jesus out. Let me see what's going on. 
First group we find in Mark uh, 3.20. And it says this. Then Jesus entered a house and a good crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said he is out of his mind. I don't know about you. I, I, I came from a big, fa- I have a big family. And a big family with lots of cousins and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles. News can kind of spread pretty quick. Right? Did you hear about what that cousin of yours is doing? Have you heard about so, right? And so as Jesus is gaining this popularity among the people, people are starting to talk about it. You can imagine somebody goes and gets healed and comes back to their town and says, you have to hear about this man. In fact, we see this all throughout Scripture, right? Woman at the well, she is, has this interaction with Jesus. She goes and tells uh, a man that has an evil spirit, uh, Jesus cast out, and then he goes, I want to follow you. And Jesus goes, no, go tell everybody in all of the cities, and he goes out and he tells them and they're amazed. So you can see that this word is trickling out into all the region and probably at this point, it's getting to his family. We have Jesus probably, uh, probably at this point up in Capernaum, which is north of Galilee, the region of Galilee, and Nazareth is farther down to the south. And so news gets to his family. We're not told, is this his mother, his brother, aunts, uncle, sister, father? It's, it's his family, though. And as news comes to them, they're wondering if he's okay. He's not eating. When someone stops eating, that's a big sign for most of us that there's, I mean, if our dog stops eating, that's a big issue, right? Not eating. We actually get two different times in Mark that he says he's, he's so pressed with the crowd that he's not even eating. In fact, sometimes the disciples are the ones that like, hey, send the crowd away. We need to eat. But Jesus is on a mission. And so he's not eating. We know he's traveling. We know at one point he says, right, that foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head down. And maybe from the outside, people are starting to look at this and going, is he Okay. You can imagine maybe Jesus' family maybe coming up to his brother James and saying, hey, like, no offense, but we've been hearing some stories about Jesus. Is he okay? Uh, you know, he's always been a little bit different, but he's, we heard a story that he's like going out into the wilderness with John, and you know John's kind of, he's eating bugs out there. And we hear John, like, dunked him in the water. Like, what's going on? And we know that um, it's in the book of John that it says that Jesus' brothers initially didn't believe in him. And so his brothers are probably like, he, he's, he's always been kind of like that. To the point where it says that they're going to go out and take charge of him. Now that, that language, that take charge, is actually not just like, hey, come on, come on back home. But it's like physical, like we're going to grab you. Like when you're grocery shopping and you hear that toddler losing their mind in the aisle next to you, 
And sometimes you walk the other way, but sometimes you just want to see, like, maybe I can get some parenting tips. And so, like, you're looking, and mom or dad have to kind of under the arm if we ever had to do this. And, like, I've, we've exhausted all the conversations. I've tried to reason with you. I know you're three, but I've tried to reason. And now, come on, we're going. And, the, you know, the kids kind of, this, this is the language. Like, we're going to come get him. We're going to come seize him. We're going to come grab him because he's he's out of his mind. He's not eating. Like these crowds are, something is happening. I would prefer then that it tells us, okay, then his family got there. But instead we get this break and we get this new group that's going to come in and the family is going to get there, but it's going to take a little while. Um, as, I'm, as I was reading and studying for this, it was interesting to think that he's up in Capernaum, which is most likely where Peter's family is from. Remember, he's, he's a fisherman, and Capernaum is on the Sea of Galilee. Think of like a fishing town, maybe a fishing you know, uh, village that, hey, this is where they're located, right on the Sea of Galilee. And I'm like, oh man, the Sea of Galilee is gigantic, you ever just wondered, you sit here like, oh, I've heard that said all, how big is the Sea of Galilee? This has maybe no relevance to any of you, but it's interesting to me, so you get to hear it. I always thought the Sea of Galilee to be like Lake Erie. Like, oh yeah, this, this big thing. Well, Lake Erie is like almost, for all you detailed people, almost 10,000 square miles. Sea of Galilee, 64 Okay, so a much smaller area. This Capernaum is at the kind of the top of the sea. And this is where Jesus is currently located at. And his family, probably a couple of days, maybe 40 miles-ish away in Nazareth. So it'd take him a little bit of time to get there. So think in your mind, his family's heard news. Jesus is out there. He, he might be crazy. He might be crazy. You're going to need to go grab him, but they're going to travel there. And while they're traveling there, we get this next group of people. All right, let's keep going. Uh, Mark chapter 3, 22 through 30. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He's possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him, and he began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven of all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he is an impure spirit. Okay, let's go back up to the top. So Jesus' family kind of, they're thinking he might be crazy. We need to go get him. Maybe he's shaming the family. And so they're maybe traveling up from Nazareth. We're not quite sure who that is yet. uh, But they're coming to get him. Meanwhile... There's another group of people, the teachers of the law. Now, some of your Bibles actually might say scribes. 
And when we think of scribes, I think the best, easiest way for me to understand that is think of a lawyer. A scribe is one who deals with the law. They deal also with the scripture. And they are not just copying the scripture, which is what a scribe would do as well, but they're also writing the law. They're interpreting it. They're telling you whether you're sinning or not, whether you're breaking the law. They're the experts of the law. Now, the Pharisees, we often get those two put together, right? The scribes and the Pharisees. The Pharisees are a group of people, a sect, that are very dedicated to keeping every little tiny law there is. They're the legalists, right? They're the ones that are going, hey, there is strict way to follow this. And so the scribes are coming up from Jerusalem, the experts in the law. And that's a significant journey from Jerusalem up to Capernaum. And so often think, as I, as I was reading this, that they're sent to go check them out. They're going to go and see what's all about because there's been news that's trickling all over the region about this man. And so we need to go see who he is. Jerusalem, right, is, is the center point for the Jews. This is where, the, like the great Sanhedrin, this is the group that, that really has all the power to convict um, to sentence people. And so you could see them sending someone to, hey, go find out what's happening up in Capernaum. There is something going on. You guys need to go check this out. This is like for us, if you ever done this, you maybe pull up to a restaurant, looks kind of full. And you're like, somebody get out of the car and go check this place out, right? How, how long is the wait going to be? Because if it's long, we're, we're out of here, right? We we can't wait around. Or maybe you're just going and you're like, I'm going to drive by this place and kind of like eyeball it. I'm going to see like, hey, what kind of area this is? And then I'm going to report back. This is often, this happens in church. We ask people when they go to another, and they go check it out and we go, hey, what was it like? Hey, tell us what your experience was. And so as these scribes come, these lawyers, the teachers of the law, these experts in the law, they're coming to see what's going on with this man. Who is he? And when they get there, you can imagine they're seeing him teach, they're seeing him heal, and they're seeing him cast out demons. And it's interesting that they don't challenge him on, are you actually doing any of these things? There's too many witnesses. There's too much evidence to see. No, the challenge instead is now the power of why you're doing this. And they're going to say, you're casting out demons, true, but you're doing this through the power of Satan. It's interesting, as I was kind of reading on this, that there's some early Jewish writing right after Jesus, Jesus died that, that is against Christianity and Jesus himself. And, and this is what... This is what um, one of the writers said. Jesus of Nazareth was hanged on the day of preparation of the Passover because he practiced sorcery and led the people astray. And so it, it isn't that he didn't do these things, but by the power that he was doing them through. We continue uh, early church fathers 
that is typically the, the, the guys that are within one to 200 years of Jesus, and they have a lot of writings. And there's a guy named Origen, and he is, he's really like an apologist, like we would call an apologist. And he's writing against um, different philosophers that are talking against Christianity. And at one point, he writes about this, this Celsus that he's, write, that he's refuting. And here's what Celsus said. This is a pagan philosopher. Christians are strong through the names and enchantments of certain demons. Jesus performed miraculous feats by sorcery, and Jesus learned dark magic in Egypt. This really struck me that it was just interesting. Today, when we read the scriptures, often those that are opposed to Christianity or the scripture will deny that these things took place. These things can't take place because if they took place, that would mean some sort of supernatural and we are just all about the natural. And so we'll deny that they ever even happen. Like there's no video, no video. I, I need to see a video, prove it. But the people coming right during Jesus's time coming right after him, and then just within the first couple hundred years, they're not denying that it's happening. Instead, they're attributing it to evil power. Isn't that fascinating? They're not denying it, but they're saying, how are you doing this? You are doing this. This is evil, and this is through the power of Satan. And so Jesus then responds to them. It says that he, sp- he spoke in a parable, parables. When I think parable, I think an easy kind of fun story, the shepherd and the sheep, you know, the scattering of the seeds and the sower and the birds. But, but parables, it talks in scripture, are meant to do two things. One, for the people that have a hardened heart, who are in opposition to God, whose eyes are closed, whose ears are shut. It's meant to leave them in confusion. That's what it says. And yet for those that God is moving and working in, it starts to illuminate the spiritual reality that Jesus then is teaching. And so he goes, how can Satan drive out Satan? This to me is just logical, right? Like, how how can this be? How can I be casting out demons by the prince of demons? A kingdom divided, it falls. A house divided, it fails. And you can look around it. We know that Satan's at work. Just look around our world. It's, there's people that are demon-possessed. So obviously he hasn't been completely destroyed. He's still active. He's moving. He goes, I'm not doing this by his power. Instead, he says that if a man goes in to plunder, to rob a strong man's house... What does he have to do first? He has to bind him. He has to hold him down. He's got to pin him down before he can go in. I think this is Jesus talking about, this is what he's starting to do, that he is pinning down Satan, that he's starting to release the captives. He's starting to break the chains, to set people free, to redeem them. And then we get into maybe, this is like a really difficult passage. We don't have time to fully explore it today. But he he gives them these, these sayings that, no, this is not done by evil. And then he says, you know, because you're saying this, that that 
that men can be forgiven of all sorts of lies and utterance, but if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, there is no forgiveness. And sometimes I've had students come up to me, I've had parents come up to me and worried about this. Like, did I blaspheme the Holy, like, this can't be, for. I thought all sins are forgiven, this one can't be. But we have to think of where this is in context to the passage. Remember, this context matters. And in the context of the passage, what is it saying? It's saying that you are attributing the work, the person of the Holy Spirit to that which is evil and demonic. You are saying the goodness and greatness of God and his work in redeeming us. No, this is evil. Satanic. This is someone who is completely opposed to God, whose heart is hardened, whose eyes are shut, whose ears are closed. They want nothing to do with God and his spirit. And his spirit, remember the spirit of God, what does it say? It's that it calls us to righteousness, right? Convicts us of sin. And so if you are so opposed to the Holy Spirit, if you are saying that the Holy Spirit work is actually sin, how can you be forgiven of sin because I will not be convicted? How can I walk in righteousness when I am so opposed to the Spirit? In Acts 7, you have the story of, if you remember, of Stephen. He's, he's, he's martyred. He's stoned to death. Um, and as he's professing about Jesus, um, they're losing their minds. And you know who it is that's losing their minds? It's the scribes. It's those people that are, they, I, I know the law and you are breaking it. And he, he condemns them. And here's what he says. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your hearts and ears, you always, always, always resist the Holy Spirit. If we are always resisting the Holy Spirit, if we are saying what is good is evil, if we want nothing to do with God, that is an unforgivable sin because we, we, we have set ourselves in opposition to it. I, I don't want to be forgiven. There is no forgiveness given to them because I don't want to be. They're, I'm going to attribute all of this to evil. I mean, even look at how he ends that passage when he says, right, this is this sin that is unforgivable. He, and in 30, it says, he said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Taking what the goodness and mercy of God and saying this is evil. So we get kind of an abrupt end, as often we do in Mark, and we pick back up with the family. The family picks back up in uh, verse 31. So let's read that. Mark 3, 31 through 34. It says, Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. And standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brother are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him, and he said, Here is my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother my brother and sister and mother. Jesus' family comes on the scene now. They've gotten there. They're outside. Remember, it's, he's packed in with people, just packed in. And so they're out there, and they send like a message, hey, come on out. 
we need you. This is sometimes youth group. We're all hanging out in the gym. Maybe I've run a little late. You are sitting out in your car waiting for your kid. Like, okay, it's kind of, come on, it's time. Ready to go. And maybe you send somebody in. Hey, go get your, go get your brother. Tell him like we're waiting for him. It's time to go. Sometimes you do this at church, right? Who's the talker of, of your family? That's, I'm the talker of my family. The boy, come on, it's time to go. Mom's waiting. It's, it's time to go. And so we don't know, you know, uh, who all his, his family is there. Is there more than his mother or brothers there? You know, he starts men- mentioning sisters then. What about Joseph? His, we know that his family's sitting outside. They're calling for him to come out. It doesn't say even that Mary is necessarily the one that thinks he's out of his mind. But they definitely are trying to get him. Come on out. Like, we need to go home. Stuff's going on. Come, come on. Come on. And so the message travels in the house. Maybe that's word of mouth, one after the other. Maybe someone like the thinnest person squeezed in the door and got in. And your, your, your mom and brothers are outside. You need to leave. And so Jesus responds um, and he says, who is my mother and who is my brothers? We can take that very quickly and take offense to that. That somehow Jesus is disrespecting his family. But if Jesus is God and God is perfect and he did not sin, then this can't be disrespect, right? It logically, it can't be, dis, he's not disrespecting his family. But he is taking a moment all of a sudden to let me make a point Something that I need you to understand about who I am and those that I call to myself. And he says, look around. He said, look around. These are my family. This is my mother. This is my brother. This is my sister. The one who does the will of God. Now don't think of, be careful. I I would encourage you not to think of will as some very like tight rope. I need to know the will of God. And if I misstep, I'm not in his family. And so we're left like this spiritually. This isn't it. The will of God, right? It talks about in, in Timothy that he goes, I desire, I want all people to come to the knowledge of the truth and to be saved. In Ezekiel, he says, I don't take any pleasure in the wicked perishing. Would you turn and have life and be saved? He wants you to be in relationship with him. He wants to save you. His extension to you is salvation, is grace, is mercy. And he wants you to accept that message because when you do, you get to be adopted into the family of God. That no longer is the family of God just a people group. That was never the intention, but instead it's all people get to join me. You get to be adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High. And then because of that, that should be the the focus of why we are united. As Christians, so often we focus on other things. We focus on, well, do you share my political views? I know you're well, maybe you're a Christian, but you don't vote this way. I don't have anything to do with you. Or maybe you don't come 
from the same background that I came to, that I came from. And so I can't be around you. But Jesus breaks all of that. He offers everyone salvation to be brought into the family of God. And so it's no longer, there's, there's no politics or economics or geographical locations where you need to be from. If I believe in him, in who he says he is, and then make him Lord of my life, I'm in the family. I'm in the family. Band, you guys can come on out. Galatians 3, 26 through 28 says it this way. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with him. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What? This is like a turn that so often especially at that time where Jesus is speaking, is that I needed to trace my lineage to make sure I'm in the right family. And he takes this moment to go, no, you can be in the family of God as you do my will, that those who follow me, those around me as he points to his disciples, that's who the true family is. And so then when we look around at the church, this is often why pastors stand up here and we say things like, good morning, church family. I think Dan did it in the video. Why we say, hey, greet one another because you're greeting your family. This is a family gathering. This is a family get together. And we should view each other as that. And we should treat each other as that. I mean, in the early church, they viewed each other so much as family that they're selling their stuff off for one another. That they're taking care of the widowed and the orphaned among them because we are the new family. Brother Jerry reminds us often. Why? Because scripture tells us, oh, you're no, brother. You have been given a new identity in Christ and that's a child of God. And because of that, then we are united. And so then passages over and over in scripture calls us to be united and to see each other as family. I can be honest with you, when I lived in Jersey, away from my family, it was much easier to view the church as my family because I didn't have anybody else, right? And so when things were hard, family was far away. And so the church had to be that for me. And there was multiple people uh, who were surrogate moms and dads and brothers and sisters in that group. But can I be honest with you, moving I've been now back in Toledo five years. Some of my family's here. Love my family. But it can, it's also now maybe a little more distracting, if I'm honest, that I have my family over here and they take care of me. They bring me meals and they comfort me. And the, they provide that family relationship that I need. And so I'm not looking for the church to do that so much. And not only am I not looking at the church to do that, Maybe I am not extending myself in the way that when I look out to you, I should go, yeah, that elderly person, that's my grandfather. That woman is my mother. That man is my brother. And so I'd encourage you, like, this is what we are to be to one another. I'll end with this, that if you had maybe a great mother, since it's Mother's Day, who nurtured you who showed compassion to you who brought you up 
man, you should take what she has taught you and apply that to the church, to those around you. And for some of you who struggled with their mother, uh, maybe there's a, there's a broken relationship there or trauma and damage there. The church is meant to come alongside, to be that for you. And it's not based on anything other than Christ as Lord. Let's pray. Dear God, um, I pray that we as a, a, as a body, that we would see each other as family, as you call us, um, that we would be quick um, to help, to honor uh, one another, uh, to bear one another's burdens, uh, to see ourselves not divided through any type of other allegiance, um, not to let things come in between us, uh, but to be united as one, uh, the family of God. We know that's only done through your son's name. Amen.
and vitamin. Our provider for every need you have. So cry out to him. Swing wide, oh you heavens. Let the breeze go up as the walls come down. Oh creation, everything with breath, repeat the sound. On his children, clean hands, pure hearts, good grace, good God. What's his name? pray for you. Uh, we have our prayer team right over here that would love to do that uh, with you. Uh, but can I read to you just a passage out of Ephesians as we close uh, this morning? As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humbled and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Have a blessed Sunday, and we'll see you guys here next week.